Morning, church. How are we doing this morning? It is great to be here uh, as we continue the series we've been doing together as a church entitled God is Blank. And in this series, uh, we've been focusing on one specific characteristic of God each week uh, to not only hopefully uh, kind of increase our knowledge of Him, but also to inspire us to want to seek Him out more. And one characteristic of God, uh, kind of reflecting on these last couple of weeks that I've been really learning personally, is how God doesn't really move that fast. Have you guys ever thought about that? I don't know if there's something in your life that you're waiting for God to do, and you're just waiting, and he just, nothing's really happening. You know, his pace with things is very different than our pace. And the way we do things is usually fast, right? We like things fast. I don't know if you guys relate, um, but have you guys ever used, like, the map app on your phone? And, like, you're going, you need direction somewhere. And, uh, you know, it has, like, the ETA of kind of the estimated time of arrival where you'll get to that destination. Do you guys ever try to beat that time? <laughs> Is it just me or you guys relate too? <laughs> Lois and I do that all the time. We try our best to beat that time. There's just something in, in us that we just want to get there in a hurry. And it, it's funny when, we, when, I, when I think about it because... Like, the way that map app is designed, it already takes into account all the traffic patterns and stuff so that you can get to your destination in a fast way. Um, but again, we, we, we kind of determine the success of the drive based on how many minutes we shave off of that time. So if we get three minutes off, we're like, look, dude, that was a good drive. High five. That was a good drive. Successful. And then maybe if it was like one minute, we're just like, ah, it's Okay. But again, we just, it's just in us that we want to do things fast. And I think that's how we are as a society, right? Think about it. We, we have fast food. We don't even have to get out of our cars to get the food that we're going to eat. We have high-speed internet, not only at our homes, but at the palm of our hands, that we can get any sort of information through Google. We have fast tracks. I don't know if you guys seen the construction going on in the 15. It's the worst with the traffic. But eventually, soon, everyone's going to be zooming by. Because again, that's, how, that's who we are as a society. We like things fast. But you see, God is not like us. I'm sure we've been learning about it these past couple of weeks that God is always just operating at a whole another wavelength than us. His character is such a sharp contrast to us humans. Us humans, we are always in a hurry when God is not in a hurry. And that's the title of the sermon this morning is God is not in a hurry. We're going we're gonna to have two points that I'm going to talk about this morning. Before we start and dig into scriptures, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father God, thank you so much for this time to be here. Um, God, as we, as we learn about this characteristic that you have, that you're never in a hurry, Father. And uh, I pray that you can help us be attentive to your word. And God, I pray that you can put me completely aside and help me preach your word boldly, and that we can walk out of here uh, inspired and motivated to want to see you out more. Thank you so much, God, and your son's holy name I pray. Amen. Turn your Bibles with me to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5, verse 21 to 43. It's kind of a longer passage, 
um, but we're going to kind of go step by step this morning. Mark chapter 5. And I, I believe the best person we can look at in order to fully understand this characteristic of God is Jesus. Okay, God in the flesh. And in this passage, we, we see kind of God's unhurriedness through Jesus' interactions with two different people. So Mark chapter 5, verse 21 to 43. I have it up on the screen as well. Starting verse 21. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. So, so Jesus and his disciples just step out of this boat, and the Bible describes how these crowds of people kind of swarm him. And when the Bible says crowds, it's not like two or three people, but it's like 50 to 100 people just rushing him. And kind of the best way I can kind of picture this in my head, and hopefully this will help you, is kind of like this. I don't know if you've ever seen celebrities uh, trying to go in, into their car or something, and all this paparazzi and people are pressing around against it. This is what it kind of looks like in my head. So it's kind of, it's, it's chaos. You don't... These people don't look super encouraged, right, the celebrities? They're trying to get out of there as quickly as possible. So this is, this is the kind of scene. Jesus out of the boat and this is happening. And then in the midst of this chaos, a man named Jairus asks him for help. And apparently his, his daughter is dying and he needs Jesus' help, his skill set of healing. Now, let's just take a moment to think about this. If you were in Jesus' shoes in that, what would be on your, on your mind? If it was me, yeah, safety, but also I want to get out of here fast. But notice what was Jesus' response. He agrees and he follows him. But more on that later. Let's continue reading. Verse 25. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. Verse 30, at once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you ask who touched me. But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told the whole truth. He said to her daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. So again, Jesus is on his way to help Jairus' daughter. And it's insane. People, they're trying to walk through. People are pressing against him. They're trying to get through the craziness. When a, when a woman who had been battling with some sort of disease believes in her heart that if I touch his clothes, I'm going to be healed. And then boom, touches the cloak and she's healed. What does Jesus do in response to this woman? The scripture says that he feels this, this sudden power kind of like exit him. And he stops in his tracks in the middle of this chaos and asks, who touched my cloak? So imagine, 
remember, they're pressing against him, so they're like trying to push through, so people are already touching him all over the place, and then he stops. Who touched me? Like, his, even his disciples in verse 31. Everyone's touching you, Jesus. And how can you ask that? Who, who touched me? So again, you would think that he would be rushing and in a hurry to get out of there, but you see him stop again. So now two times, he stops to help Jairus, and now he stops to help this woman. Why? Why? My first of two points this morning is God is not in a hurry to love. God is not in a hurry to love. This is something so amazing about the character of God and his unhurriedness. Right? He, he's not this, this being that sits on the throne and whacks his finger at people, telling him what to do all the time. But he takes his time when he loves us. He's gracious. He is merciful and willing to stop in the middle of whatever God does to listen to our prayers and to speak through us to scriptures, through scriptures. You know, I think one of the worst feelings, I know Scott mentioned it earlier during his communion, but one of the first, well, the worst feelings I can feel sometimes is when, you know, I really miss someone and I really want to spend time with them, but they're just too busy for me. Have you guys ever felt that before? They're like, oh my gosh, like, I miss you, like, I haven't seen you all day, but I just want to be with you. But then they're, like, on their phone, or they're thinking about all these different things that they have to do. And maybe they're there with you, but they're not really present. You know, church, to, just to be open, I really fell short in this area this, this week. I've been really stressed out. I've been, I've been applying to jobs, and uh, I've been thinking about this sermon, just really stressed out about these different things. So, like, my heart was very hurried. And Lois came up to me like a couple days ago and was just like, babe, I just feel like you, you haven't took the time to, to love me this week. I felt very hurt. I felt like really unappreciated. And I just, I just sat there just feeling horrible. Like I, I made my wife, the person I love so much, feel so hurt. Have you experienced what Lois felt in your own life? I don't know, maybe, maybe it's a spouse or maybe it's a friend that you really love. Or, or maybe it's, uh, I don't know, someone that you really care about in your life that just doesn't really reciprocate. What do you guys usually feel when they don't love you or they're too hurried to love you? It's, 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 it's a gut-wrenching feeling. Is it? it's, not a, it's not a fun feeling. But I love this scripture that Paul talks about in Romans chapter 8. He says, for I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us, get this, from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Church, God is not too busy for you. Think about that. God, the creator of the heavens and the universe, all the different things that we've been learning about him, he is not too busy for you. That Jesus could have walked through, and Jairus could have asked him, he could have been too hurried. He could have walked through right past that woman. But he stopped in his tracks to help them. Why? Because he's not in a hurry to love you. Just think about that. That's amazing. Doesn't that just make you feel just like, God loves me? He's not in a hurry to love me? He cares for each and every single one of us here today in, in a love so deep and vast that it just, it's unexplainable. He loves you. Church, do you believe that? Do you believe that? 
Because I'm telling you now, people may let you down. People may discourage you. But God is not too busy for you. God is never in a hurry to love you. He wants to sit and hear you pray. He wants to walk with you through the highs and lows in your life. He will never leave you or forsake you. This is the God that we serve. God is not in a hurry to love you. You with me, church? And I, I, could, I could land on this and that's it. Sermon the end. And we are ministered through, through the scriptures. But I love the Bible, don't you? There's so much more we can get. Let's continue reading. Picking up in verse 35. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told them, don't be afraid, just believe. So can you just imagine what Jairus is feeling at this moment? Prior to him meeting Jesus, he was probably hopeless that he, he was looking at his daughter dying. Man, how would you feel like if you have a daughter, how would you feel if you were just watching her slowly, slowly fade away? The hopelessness, the fear. But then a little bit of hope when he realized, oh, Jesus is, is nearby. So he goes and he asks Jesus, Jesus, please help my daughter. And he agrees. So he has Jesus following him. He's probably fired up. Jesus is behind him. Like, oh my gosh, my daughter's going to be healed. But then he looks back and he sees Jesus talking to this woman. He's like, oh, Jesus, I know, I know you, you got to help her, but my daughter, she's, she's dying. But every minute that Jesus spends talking to this woman, that's one less minute that Jesus has to save his daughter. So he's probably thinking, oh, my gosh, Jesus, hurry, please, hurry, please, hurry up. My daughter is dying. But Jesus is not in a rush and speaking, having a conversation with this woman. Have you guys ever waited on God on something? And you just feel like he's not answering? You're trying to get him to hurry up, but he, just nothing's happening. It's not a fun feeling, is it? This is just a glimpse of what Jairus is feeling at this moment. But what I love about Jesus and his response, it, it's such a perfect display of, of his unhurriedness. His response in all this was this. Don't be afraid, just believe. And at first glance, you're like, okay, that's a pretty Jesus thing to say, right? But what's really cool is the, uh, the Greek word for believe is pesteo, which means to have confidence in. To have confidence in. My second and final point is God is not in a hurry because he wants our unhurried confidence. Jesus at this moment was telling Jairus, don't be afraid have confidence in me. Don't be afraid. Trust me. I know, I know things do not look good right now. I, don't, I know things do not make sense, but trust me, I know what I'm doing. Have confidence in me. But that's a hard thing to do. Imagine. Jairus at this moment. But let's see how this, this story ends. Pick up in verse 37. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. 
he went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. 41. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha, go home. Which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. So Jesus came through in a miraculous way, didn't he? Jairus' daughter is healed. But again, I want us to focus on just this whole pace of Jesus was never in a hurry. Even to the point where you would think that he's late, he's just, don't be afraid, just believe. And he goes and heals Jairus' daughter. Do you guys know what a tapestry is? If you guys ever seen one before, if you guys don't know what a tapestry is, a tapestry is like this big, beautiful like piece of art, very detailed, but what's interesting about a tapestry is that it's, it's hand-woven with thread. And you see, the thing about tapestries is that they, it's a really long, tedious process to make. Um, a professional could weave a tapestry for 35 to 40 hours a week, and in one month, they would only probably make about one square meter of this tapestry. So that's about 120 hours in a one month in like one square meter of the whole month of just weaving, weaving, weaving. It's a very, very slow process. And not only that, it's not really a pretty process. I don't know if you guys ever seen the back of a tapestry, but it looks kind of like this. You can't really, you can't even tell what it looks like. It's just this whole jumble of mess. But what's interesting about tapestries is that when the weaver is finished, they turn it around and it's a beautiful, beautiful work of art. You know, I looked up some, some tapestries online and look at the detail of some of this stuff. That's, they didn't draw that, they didn't paint it, they, it was hand woven, thread by thread. You know, this is actually on sale, it's, a, it's like $6,500. Six grand for this thing. Six grand. Check this out. There's another tapestry I found online with the colors, the detail of it all, right? Okay, church, I'm not lying. Guess how much this tapestry is? $250,000 for this. Why is it so expensive? Because it's a long, tedious, and a lot of times really ugly process. And the reason why I say is that sometimes in our lives, God works very slow, very tedious, and sometimes in a way that we don't like to look at. But I believe that God is, is making a beautiful tapestry of our lives. And even though it can be a gut-wrenching, ugly, just, oh my goodness, God, what are you doing? He's trying to make something beautiful out of you. Something so beautiful. In Romans chapter 8, verse 28, Paul says this, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. In the midst of the suffering, in the midst of the trials, and the slowness, we need to be confident that God is working for our good, that is working for our benefit. 
as making something beautiful out of whatever situation in our lives that we are waiting for him to work in. We see too often when things don't go the way that we want to, when things don't move as fast as we want them to, we get frustrated. We get frustrated. We get like, God, what are you trying to do? I'm, I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm praying, I'm praying, but just nothing is happening. But God in the background is just trying to get us to hear, don't be afraid, just believe. Have confidence in me, count confidence in me. Trust me, I know what I'm doing. That he's weaving each and every individual thread of our lives in a way that is so perfect and so good. And even though sometimes we can't understand it, he's saying, just please, son, daughter, please have confidence in me. I have a plan for you. And it's slow and it's tedious, I know, but that's just who I am. I'm an unhurried God. Our God is unhurried. So church, whatever slow process you're in right now, just think about whatever slow, whatever thing that you're waiting God, for God to do today or this week or this month or whatever the case may be in your life. Are you confident in God's unhurriedness? Do you trust in him? Because I promise you that we serve a God that is good and that has a plan for you so much bigger and better that you could ever even plan by yourself. But you just gotta believe, you gotta be confident in him. This is who God is. He is not in a hurry. Amen. So what we've been doing as a church after, after each sermon is we've been breaking up into discussion questions. Because not only do we want to connect with the scriptures, but we want to connect with each other as well. And all of us have different stories. All of us have different things that we're going through. And what we really want to do as a church is really to encourage fellowship, to talk to each other about the things that God is doing in our lives. So in just a little bit, we're going to break up into maybe groups of two or three, and we're going to discuss these questions. Number one, in what ways has God demonstrated unhurried love in your life? And number two, is there anything happening in your life that you feel like God is working in his time and not your own? How can you choose to be confident that he is working for your good? Amen, church? Amen. So let's break up into our groups um, and talk about some of these questions. Amen. To God be the glory.